You are listening to Pastor Ben Eckel of Calvary Chapel, Keweenaw Peninsula, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Tune in each week as Pastor Ben teaches through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Or watch us live on Sunday mornings at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our Facebook page. You can access our library of teachings at www.ccqueenaw.com. Second Kings 14, we get to read about King Amaziah. It says, In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. Well, we need to know a little bit about Joash to understand this isn't a compliment, right? He's like daddy, okay? We're going to get to that. But we see the Holy Spirit tells us here that he started off well. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, okay? There's a warning here to every one of us. We, uh, we all can start something well. Men, right? Right? <laughs> How many projects have you started well? You know? Don't nag me every six months. I'll get to it kind of thing, right? It's easy to start off. It's easy to get saved. It's easy to be excited about God. It's easy to just make your walk about emotional expression and rah-rah and feel good. But that all goes away. The honeymoon goes away, doesn't it? And now the Lord takes away all the warm fuzzies. He takes away all the, all the nice sugary parts of Christianity. And he says, I want you to now have confidence in my word. Not your circumstance. Not whether or not the person next to you loves Jesus. But can you love Jesus when it's hard? Can you trust the Lord despite what else everyone else is doing? Or... Are there things in your heart that when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, we got to get rid of that, you can't do that anymore? You go, ooh, I didn't sign up for this, right? Something happens in Amaziah. He starts off well. He had a calling. He had a vision. God gave him all that. You're to walk in this. But he didn't finish well. There's a lot of warning in Scripture, right? Paul, he says, I finished my race. He didn't say he won the race, <laughs> right? Some of us, if you're the red lamp, you're in heaven. You know, some of us, you may be dead last, but hey, you finish the race. You know, it takes, it, isn't it great to finish a project? I wouldn't know. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying is like, you got to keep pushing forward, right? There's always going to be your flesh in the way. There's always going to be Satan coming at you that's never going to go away. Or how about this? You never feel more faithy as a Christian, right? Don't ever let your feelings dictate your obedience. Your obedience will change your feelings, 
right? Feelings are corrupt, right? They've been touched by the fall, right? As self-confrontation talks about that on our Wednesdays is God could care less how you feel. He really doesn't care about your feelings or your thoughts concerning him or he just wants you to obey him, period. Whether you understand it or not, he's looking for your behavior, right? And so Amaziah starts off well, but he has too many compromises, too much idolatry in his life. And what is idolatry? Right? We don't necessarily worship golden objects and physical things these days, but we do have things in our heart that are between us and God. Okay. We don't know exactly what Amaziah's personal idols are. He, we're going to see some physical manifestations of idolatry, but it's really where the Holy Spirit hasn't done a complete work in you. It's Jesus and, right? Is there something in your life that said, man, I will really love Jesus as long as I can keep my job, as long as I can have that girl, or I can have that boy, or I can have that thing, or I can, I can, I can. You, you put terms on your walk, and the Lord says, I'm not a respecter of people. You come to me on my terms because Jesus ultimately knows what's best for you and I, Right? There's things that have to go, that get to go. How about that? Let's look at that. There's things in your life that you used in the world, right? The, the hustle, the tricks of the trade, the, 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 you know, your street sense. And the Lord says, I got a better way. But we all have this void in our heart that we fill with people or stuff or experience. You know, what if the Lord never did a physical miracle in his church until the rapture? Would we still worship him? What if the Lord never blessed you with prosperity. Is he right in doing so? Oh, absolutely. The only thing you and I deserve is what? Hell. So if you read the first century church. We live in caves. We're wearing rags. We're, we're looking forward to going home, you know? And so you're going to see, as the Holy Spirit does a work in you, it's going to be confrontational. And it takes more work now as a 20-year-old Christian than it did that first month where you're just like, praise the Lord, I'm saved, flash the hot dish, you know, all that fun. Remember that? Oh, it's so good. But we go on to maturity. Verse 4. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now, when the scriptures speak of high places, these are called secret sins. This is what you do when no one is watching, right? And we all have those, right? There's just things that you can only be yourself when no one's looking. And so the, the people, although they didn't have the golden calf anymore and they didn't have the idolatry, you know, that stuff was done. These little secret pockets weren't dealt with. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. But the children of the murderers he did not execute according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. But a person shall be put to death for his own sin. God will not hold you responsible for the behavior of your ancestors. Anyone here have the Irish temper? Or the German temper? Or do Finns have... Emotional expression? Stubborn. Stubborn. 
You know, I'm a stubborn Finlander. No, you're a sinner, right? You are a carnal, vomitous, fleshy bag of pus. And it just happened to be your mom and dad taught you to polish that sin, right? God won't hold you responsible for what your family has done. You may have ancestral sinful patterns, but you're not under the influence of their sinful behavior. You're willingly acting on that, and God will only hold you responsible for your own personal behavior. Okay? Now, keep in mind, okay, he's using the scriptures in a a wrong way when we're going to see here. Why did his servants execute his father in the first place? Do you remember this story? It's in 2 Chronicles 24. I'll read it, and I'll see if you guys can catch it. In 2 Chronicles 24, starting at verse 17, it says, Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehida, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commands of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also had forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with the stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness which Jehida his father had done to him, but killed his son, and as he died, he said, The Lord look on it and repay So essentially what happened was his father Joash killed the prophets that called him out after he turned God's people away from God. So what was the sin that the servants actually committed that Amaziah had to go in and correct? There wasn't one. This was strictly an act of revenge. Notice it said he he did not... Let's go back here. It says, yet he was not like his father, David. Remember, David was confronted in his sin by Nathan. Did David kill Nathan? He listened to him. Think about this in your life. What happens when people correct you? How do you treat them? When they clearly come to you and say, this is wrong, how do you defend yourself? Well, you're not old enough in the Lord as me. I've been walking with Jesus for 30,457 days, and you're just a pipsqueak. You don't know my heart, right? Do you get defensive when you get corrected? This is where you murder the prophets, right? And God will use the foolishness of people in your life to come and correct you, right? You ever have that person that can come in and just go, and you're like, ah, don't, how did you know? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. Praise God for your critics. You know why? Your critics are honest, right? Be wary when men speak well of you. Isn't that what Jesus tells us? So, So the first thing he does here is he goes and kills all these people that murdered his dad because his dad was an idolater. Verse 7. He killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Selah by war and called it its name Jokthiel to this day. Now, for our reference, this is the rock city of Petra. Anyone see Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? That's a real place. I've been there twice. It's really cool. 
there's a great buffet at the end of the trail. That's like, that is your motive. You know, you got to, but the worst part is, is after the buffet, you got to do the walk of shame back up the hill. If you know what I'm saying, right. <laughs> and pray the restrooms clean when you get to the top, you know, but it's, it's this whole city carved into the rocks down there. It's just, it's absolutely fascinating. So he kills these Edomites, and we get a better detail. If you're taking notes, 2 Chronicles 25 gives us the detail of this. In 2 Chronicles 25, starting at verse 5, it says, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and sent over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their fathers' houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin, and he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. That's a big number. 300,000, 300, that's the population of the entire Upper Peninsula. Okay? Not including college students. It says, He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But, this is where the story starts, a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, nor with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone. Be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has no power to help and to overthrow. Woo! Little rebuke there. Israel had how many good kings in the northern kingdom? Count with me. Got you. Yeah. yeah. He's saying, you don't need the help from the ungodly. Right? He doesn't want, God doesn't want his children to compromise. Essentially, he's saying, do not be unequally yoked. Right? In business, in relationships, in whatever thing God has called you to do. Don't look towards the arm of the flesh, let alone to the help of the world. Okay? What does he say here? He says, God shall make you fall before the enemy. You know, he's telling him, send the ungodly home. You don't need the help from the ungodly. Do not compromise. What is it? mean when you and I compromise, and I mean compromise by willingly do something in direct violation of God's word. You're trying to help God out, aren't you? You're trying to use fact, reason, and logic, pragmatism, right? You're wise in your own eyes. You think you're a cunning business person, and now you want to be an elder of a church? No, God doesn't use those tactics in governing his church. You want to help God out by dating? Right? Oh, the Lord simply can't provide me a spouse, so I got to go out and use this harmful process of elimination, and then I got to, you know, test drive the cow before I, I buy her, you know? Isn't that flattering? Did dude say that? Like, oh, I, you know, got to try the milk before I buy the cow. Bad analogy, right? So, when you and I compromise and do things our way, God won't go with us. He says, hey, I'm not going with it. You want to fight your own battles on your own? Go ahead. Go ahead. You can let God fight your battles, 
or you can fight them yourself. He's okay. When you lose, but here's the thing, when you lose, when the marriage doesn't work out and the business fails or whatever scheme you came up with, what's the first thing you do? You blame God, don't you? Why weren't you there being faithful? You know? I spoke it into existence. You had to honor that. God's like, you don't tell me what to do, period. End of discussion. When you lose, don't blame God for being unfaithful because God will let you go your own way. He's a gentleman. He's just like, go ahead, you know? The enemy will get God's people to think things like, well, that doesn't apply to me, right? I get a special exemption, right? God knows my heart. Well, things are different. I'm different, right? You ever, you ever catch those lies? You know, me and God have made a deal. No, no, no. Me and the man upstairs, right? If my child called me the man upstairs, I would be the, known as the man who doesn't buy groceries, <laughs> the, the man who doesn't buy bedding or clothing anymore. Like, no, 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 I'm daddy. You know, recognize me. You know, we all know this. Some of you guys have this um, blacked out in your Bible here. It's Galatians chapter 6. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Again, you can do whatever you want, but God won't go with you. In fact, whatever you step over God to attain, you'll lose. I've listened to countless failed marriages, people in those marriages who've come to me and said, I knew I never should have married them in the first place, but I was afraid to be alone, or we had a car payment together, or we had a kid together, or all these excuses, this fear of loss that if... Or if they won't get saved without me, or, you know, you, you hear it, you know? Like, God can't provide for me unless I lie on my taxes. If I withhold key information in the discussion, you know, I got to help God out, you know? And God doesn't need us to do that. Verse 9, it says, Then Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? Again, he's already committed his end of the bargain. He's like, man, I already paid these dudes up front. Well, listen to what the man of God says. And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. You know, when we do things our way, according to our own fact, reason, and logic, we settle for less, right? You marry the wrong person. Just think of who you could have married, you know? You, you build your own empire and business, on your own terms, but what if you let God build your your terms and your and your business and or even the church, you know? God said, you know, it's not by power or by might, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that the work is accomplished. That unless the Lord builds the house, those who what? Labor, labor in vain. But the problem with God's way is what? It's the longest, hardest way. <laughs> and right, we're Americans. We we did not fight. The Germans, we did not fight the British so we can wait longer than three minutes for our Starbucks, right? We reserve the right to not put pickles on our Whopper, right? This is the way we're conditioned. And as Christians, we're the same way. I've prayed about it. Lord has 10 minutes to solve my problem. No, it doesn't work that way. Those who 
wait on the Lord, right? There's a lot saying there to our waiting and our patience. We'll not be disappointed. We won't be moved. God is able and willing. Keep that in mind. He wants to bless you. He is able and willing to give you more than what you are compromising for, right? I'm good at compromising. We uh, went to Marquette, or no, where did we go? Went to Rhinelander last week. And uh, I thought I could buy some time. My wife's shopping. I'm like, oh, she'll be here for hours. So Nadi and I walked to the grocery store, got some of the Gardados, right? The ones with the little brown toasts. Aren't those wonderful? And I'm going to poison control test every one of those pieces. So I walk out of the store, and I'm hangry, right? You ever get hangry? Or you're going to eat the bag too. And there's Michelle and the family walking out. And I'm like, you just, uh, just supposed to be shop, sh- sh- go shop. And they were humming and hawing about lunch. And they ate nice Mexican restaurant there. But here I am mucking handfuls as we're walking into the restaurant, right? And you know when you go to a Mexican restaurant, what are you really going to eat? Chips, salsa, refills of soda, Diet Pepsi, right? So it erases all the calories. But you ever do that? Like you just, you get Haas on the, they bring out two baskets of chips and I've already got the Gardados in me and I'm eating those. And then you're like, oh no, I just ordered food. I don't know if I'm going to make it. But you know, you push through the pain. You got to eat, you're, you got to commit to it, you know, but, but you ever do that? You fill up on the appetizer before the meal comes. You ever explain to someone in a third world country what an appetizer is? Oh, it's the meal we eat before our dinner. Isn't that a crazy concept? We're such, I love being an American. You know, it's great. We eat before we eat. Really? Other people eat once every three days. Warm everything up. Get the juices flowing. So back to the moral of the story. God is able and willing to give you more than what you are compromising for. And notice what he does. Amaziah obeys. boy, Right? So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. Then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading his people, he went to the valley of salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Also the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock, and cast them down from the top of the rock so that they all were dashed in pieces." actually been to this spot sobering thought when you see the visual in real life Um, but as for the soldiers of the army which Amaziah had discharged so that they would not go with him to battle they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon killed 3,000 in them and took much spoil now it was so after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the people of Seir set them up to be his gods, and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. What's going on? The Lord just gave this man a tremendous victory, and what does he do? He brings the enemy's idols back. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people, which could not rescue their own people from your hand? Right? It's like you ever study the Civil War, the saying, the South shall rise again. They lost. Think about it. Like Civil War reenactments, you ever go, I wonder how it's going to turn out. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're in the South, right? You were living in the South. Wasn't that big? You know, all these redneck stickers and you're just like, hey, you guys lost. You know, take your lumps, bro. End of discussion. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's like, you you know, the guys are really, what are they doing? They're walking around with their Lions jerseys on. Or better yet, I'm a Vikings guy. You know, I don't watch football, but I'm a Minnesota guy, right? Every year is going to be the Vikings year, right, Howard? <laughs> they maybe went, what, was it 77 when they went to the Super Bowl? You know, haven't been there since. Anyways, bad football analogies. So, um, why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? So it was, as he talked with him, that the king said to him, Have we made you the king's counselor? Woo, you're not the boss of me. You're not my dad. <laughs> Cease. Why should you be killed? Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my advice. You know, what does the world say? What do Christians say when we correct them? Thou shalt not judge. Right? Every scripture verse that the world knows. But Jesus said, thou shalt not judge. He didn't say that. He goes on to say, but when you judge, make a, what? A righteous judgment. And then he proceeded to unleash seven judgments on the Pharisees. We don't read that part. We just, we love to take scripture out of context. And then what he said, the prophet's saying, hey, I'm trying to save your life. I am trying to preserve you. I'm warning you. In an act of love, you are doing it wrong. But he's the king. How can the king be wrong? Easy. So what this tells me here is, like father, like son. Do you notice as you age, you see more and more of your parents in you? <laughs> it's true, right? Ask yourself, let's say you have sons and daughters. Some of you guys do. I do. And they grow up to be the age that you are at now. Would their life honor Jesus? Are you on a trajectory where, hey, my kids, you know, I'm really instilling a faith walk. Or are they picking up on my carnality? Okay. You got to remember, more is caught than taught. The people we're discipling, our family we're discipling, they're watching us as much as they're listening to us, right? And so as monkey see, monkey do, right? What, what's my tagline? You can teach your children table manners, but what? They'll always eat like you, right? Except for Brad. You have great table manners. I don't know what happened in that whole situation. I, I'm not faulting you for it, right? You're not going to be judged for the sins of your son, so... You're good. Verse 8. Then, well, this is all, we're all the way back in 2 Kings. So turn back with me to 2 Kings 14. Verse 8. Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. Ooh. Oh, D'Artagnan, he pulls the glove off and slaps him in the face. You know, we are going to have a duel. Hmm? Right. Amaziah is calling out Jehoash. It's cocky. Jehoash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, 
the thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as a wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. I want this in a Hobby Lobby poster. I really do. This is cool. <laughs> you have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Glory in that, and stay at home. <laughs> For why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? What's he saying? Three hits. My fist to your head, your head to the floor, and the ambulance hitting 90 on the freeway. You know. Warning was issued. Amaziah was overconfident, and Jehoash knew it. You know, tough guys don't need to prove they're tough. They just are. He's just like, hey, little boy, go lay down by your dish, you know. You're, oh, isn't that cute? Oh, tough guy. Where does Satan get us? When we're self-sufficient, self-confident, right? You don't pray anymore. You just think because you have a 300,000-man army, you got a great empire, business, strength, intellect, right? You've got the best this, best that. Like, you just go out in it. And the Lord will lovingly let you fail because he doesn't want you to be confident in anything but him. Amaziah had a mighty army and Jehoash had a weak army. Yet God gave Israel the victory over Judah to rebuke the idolatry of Amaziah. It came from God that he might give them into the hand of the enemies because they sought the gods of Edom. I think, I think up north there, they're going... This clown came back with idols. He's compromised. Isn't that really how the world treats us when we fail? Right? The Gentiles blaspheme God's people because of their sinful behavior. They love to see a Christian fail. They love to see a Christian in compromise because it justifies their own disobedience. Amaziah's name means strength of jaw. But we read, he strengthened himself. Ooh, not good. His character of self-sufficiency, thus belying his name, a thing not uncommon in our day, right? We take the name of Christ, don't we? We're Christians. We're Christ-like. The term Christian has no market value anymore. Anything and anybody can be a Christian. Just see, look at, our, look at all the Christian presidents our country has had. Some of the worst presidents we've had were professing Christians, right? Christian means I was born in Minnesota and I went to the Lutheran church, don't you know, and I ate the Lutefisks, right? It has no value. You go to the Middle East, you're like, are you a Christian? Yeah. Why? Because my name is John and John's a biblical name, therefore I'm a Christian. These are real discussions I've had, okay? But when you step out and say, I'm a Bible believer, that separates the wheat from the chaff because not everything Christian is biblical, but everything biblical is Christian in a sense, right? But it has no value. We've skewed those lines. You're a Bible believer. But we really don't mean it. We say we're Christ-like, but we're really not. We just want to add this suffix to bolster our, our street value. You know, we're in good company, though, okay? I like this. I'm not picking on any, any of you. I'm picking on all of us together. We're, it's a collective group pick. Because this is who Jesus picks, right? Mark, chapter 14. Not you, Mark. The Bible book, Mark. Sorry, Mark. You paying attention? All right. 
I owe you lunch someday if you use your name. <laughs> then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said, oh, I love Peter. You know something, something real smart's coming when Peter opens his trap. Mark at zero, Donnie, right? <laughs> Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Oh. So Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Squirrel, you know. <laughs> and, and, I love this part. We pick on Peter. The rest of the group says, and they all said likewise. Yeah, yeah, what he said. What happened to the whole team? They all ran, except for who? John, right? John was the only apostle at the cross. I mean, Peter watched from a distance. But they got cocky. They got bold. We'll never deny you. But Amaziah, verse 11, would not heed. Rutro, therefore Jehoash, king of Israel, went out. So he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. Then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh. And he went to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. So this man's sin left the people he was called to defend and protect and minister to vulnerable and exposed. And not only that, they're going to lose all their wealth. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of the Lord, and all the treasuries of the king's house and hostages, and returned to Samaria. They were made weak by one man's disobedience. You know, Christian, when you fail, there's no victimless crime. The people God has entrusted to you are going to suffer, right? We get caught up in that, you know. You don't want to be presumptuous. You don't want to be disobedient because your disobedience costs. Amaziah didn't have the wisdom to see how losing this battle would hurt others as well as himself. Be careful what you're compromising with. Be careful of what you're playing around with because it will harm others. Notice this even extended to hostages who were taken from Jerusalem to Samaria. The decision to attack Israel was his alone, but the price paid for the foolish attack was paid by the whole kingdom of Judah. And it's a sober warning to all leaders to consider how their foolish decisions affect many other people. Right? We talked about this at prayer yesterday morning, the idea that when a guy who in leadership doesn't take responsibility for his resources and obedience and doesn't even listen to his other brothers, when they're out, 
it's almost like they're dead, you know, because they knew what they were doing was wrong. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoash, which he did, his might and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Israel? So Jehoash rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Then Jeroboam, his son, reigned in his place. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, king of Israel. You know, it's interesting, as a failed leader, a failed king, probably in a backslidden state still, God gave him 15 years to think about it. What did he do? Was he sitting in the room just going, stupid, 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 stupid. You ever do that? Stupid. He doesn't repent. You know, the Lord is very long-suffering with us. And he knows where we're compromised. He knows where we're messed up. We know where he knows where we failed, right? And you got to understand, if God's granting you more time after your failure, right? It's to get you to think about that, to readjust, to reconnoiter. You know, God's mercies are new what every day. But it doesn't say anything about his repentance. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And they formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Again, like father, like son, you can teach your kids table manners, but they'll eat like you. You know, 15 years to think about it, and the people were bitter. They were scorned. And he dies just like his old man. You ever find yourself creating the very circumstance you wish to avoid? Ministering to a friend of mine in the community, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord. But his whole excuse for not quitting drinking was that when his father attempted to quit drinking because he was such a severe alcoholic, uh, it, it killed him. That's the one addiction that will kill you if you stop cold turkey, right? There's a medical way to detox. And so his excuse for him to permit himself to keep binge drinking was, well, it killed my dad when he stopped drinking. And he, he's like, his whole thing was, I don't want to die early on behalf of my child. Well, guess what? He was 47 years old when he drank himself to death. This was last New or Christmas Eve, right? He created the very thing that he wished to avoid. He never got to watch his grandchild grow, right? He never got to bless his daughter. And his daughter, fortunately, recognized he had a faith walk, right? But I think God just said, you're coming home, you know? But isn't that ironic? It's just like what Jesus says. When you try to save your life, you'll end up what? Losing it. But if you lose your life for Christ's sake, you're going to find it. You know, the only thing harder than giving your life to Jesus and living a radically saved biblical life, the only thing harder than that is not doing that. <laughs> Anyone here come to the Lord later in life, right? I got dragged kicking and screaming into this whole mess called Christianity. I didn't want to go, you know? I loved being depressed. I loved being miserable. I loved being drunk. I loved being high. I loved being sexually immoral. I loved it. So much I tried killing myself with the very thing I was finding pleasure in, 
right? And that's when the Lord said, hey, hey, okay, cash for clunkers program. I will give you my perfect life for your imperfect life. Let's just swap, right? You ever do that with a kid? Like you ever con a kid? This is a good con. I'll take this fat nickel and I'll trade you for that stupid little thin dime. And you're like, oh, it's bigger. <laughs> Jesus completely lost when he got me in the deal, you know? But he goes, watch what I can do. I can make all things new, right? You and I, Christian, have gifts, callings, right? If you're not a Christian today, God still has gifts and callings and a plan for your life. And maybe you've seen things in the body of Christ or you've watched church or you've seen it play out in a negative way. And it's given you a distaste for God or anything churchy or the Bible. And in my rebellion, I get radically saved, right? Radically saved. And know what I said to myself? I'm going to show people the Bible doesn't work. I'm going to live it to show people this stuff's abstract. It's not ever going to be what it says it is. And then I found myself being full of joy and peace. I'm writing apology letters, right? I'm breaking up with people I shouldn't be involved with. I stop drinking, stop doing drugs, get into ministry. And then next thing you know, here I am leading in ministry, and I'm just like, well, I proved the Bible wrong, didn't I? <laughs> it's like this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't take anyone's word for it. Right? There's one thing, like, if I came to you and explained the greatest chocolate chip cookie recipe ever made, right? It comes from a grandmother, by the way. I could tell you everything that's in it. Oh, organic butter. Oh, the purest refined sugar. Wheat that was rinsed in the tears of a Peruvian virgin, right? It was, it was cooked in a convection oven fueled by the fires of geothermal currents underneath the Keweenaw Fault, right? You can do that to somebody and they'll just be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or what you can do is hand them a cookie. Here, eat, Right? That's what I did. I, I accepted Christ, although growing up in a church underneath a, a saved mom, I had my prejudice. I had my distastes. I had my reasons. But it was as the Holy Spirit confronted me, the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear. He says, if you don't give your life to me now, you are going to die for all eternity. He wasn't threatening to kill me. He was going to let me live my life out rejecting Jesus and he'd honor that because he's a gentleman. But he says, last chance, fatso, you know. But the thing is, is I tasted the power of the Holy Spirit. I then became baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it was like, whoa, I'm not eating those generic duplex cookies grandma keeps on her fridge anymore. She's been holding out. Right? You, you all know what I'm talking about. Those cardboard things, right? The not Oreos. The dollar store Oreos. Yeah. Oh. So I tasted the Lord and said, man. And I have my original Bible. And if you go through it, there's, there's theological concepts circled in green highlighter that says, for by grace you are saved, not of good works, lest any man shall boast. Or, you know... God so loved the world. And then you had to write my name instead of the world. Like, it says, I read, I read in the Bible, God loves me and has, has, has a plan in, for my life. And then the ushers at church were like, no, you didn't. Where is that in the Bible? And they would bait me. 
you know, I would just start reading the word and be like, look, look, it says right here. It says we could go to heaven for eternity and it's a free gift. And, and people are like, no, yeah, you know, I just have that childlike faith. First John 1, 9, I love that verse, you know, because if you confess your sin to the Lord, he is faithful to what? Cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The spiritual bar is Anyone here have a guilty conscience? Right? Anyone here not so proud of your past? Right? I've seen pictures of some of your pasts, Terry. I've seen those outfits you wore. The sin of fashion. Brother, I'm there with you. I grew up in that era. That my Bill Gates plastic glasses and the bull cut. Woo! Jesus died for that. Jesus died for my mom's sin of not being able to dress a little boy. <laughs> But Christian, non-Christian, do you need peace? Do you need joy? You're never going to know peace and joy until you know the Prince of Peace, you know? You need to, by faith, taste and see the Lord is good, right? Don't blame your parents for the reason you open your mouth when you eat, right? Don't blame your parents for your temper. Don't blame God for whatever. Don't blame anybody for anything that's ever happened to you because God allowed it. And he allowed it to push you towards him, Right? You may not have had a perfect childhood. You may have had bad parents. You may have had perfect parents. You may have had something in there that said, this is not something I asked for. But God promises, I will restore what you may have lost. I will be to you what somebody wasn't to you. Right? Call no man father, but only your heavenly father. Let God be that for you. He'll take the depression. He takes away the anxiety. He takes the worry. Unless you want it. He'll let you keep it. But learn the lesson from the people in your life that didn't follow Jesus or may have started off, do you want to die like your mom and your dad or your grandma or your grandpa? How many of us have watched our families drink themselves to death or drug themselves to death? I come from an alcoholic, drug-abusing family. And I accepted my lot in life. I'm like, well, this is how we go. Like, you know, pro uh, Lieutenant Dan, this was my destiny, right? Forrest Gump reference. Any of you young kids ever watch Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump rescues Lieutenant Dan. I'm supposed to die like everyone else. And, you know, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> and then what happened to Lieutenant Dan? You know, he gets legs. He gets the beautiful wife. He's start, he start Bubble Gump Shrimp Company. He was blessed. So be Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> Why do you guys let me do this, you know? We got 15 minutes. I'm punishing you. Okay. Verse 20. Then they brought him on horses, and he was buried at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah, and the king rested with his fathers. He actually became the second greatest king ever in Israel's history next to King David, but we're not going to talk much about him. Um, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam and the, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. But it says here, 
he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. Can God use an ungodly world leader to accomplish his will? Yeah. Absolutely, right? The king's heart is like water. It goes wherever the Lord directs it, right? God is sovereign and in control. As you go to the, the ballot booth and, and as you, you exercise your civic duty and examine our civic leaders, hey, you never know what God's going to do with, with whoever's in office, right? God is using it all for his greater glory because it says here, underline this, believer, for the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter. And whether bond or free, there was no help for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. The Lord sees your affliction. He sees your bitterness. He sees your bondage. He sees that no man can help you, right? I've talked to people who have gone through every form of counseling, every 12-step, 7-step, 3-step, 2-step, right? The person who's now in the 12-step group to come free from 12-step groups, right? You know, all that stuff. The only thing that's going to fix you is Jesus. The only thing that's going to fix you is calling out on the name of the Lord, right? That's the only thing that's going to fix you. You know who the hero of the story is? It's God, right? You ever, you ever go, no one around me is going to fix or help me or do it for me, and everyone's going to let me down? Yeah, they are. Get used to it. You're going to let people down too. Lord will never let you down. When the government fails, God will never fail. When church fails, God will never fail. When your theology fails, God will never fail you. He will send somebody you don't expect sometimes. <laughs> now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did, his might, how he made war and how he recaptured Israel from Damascus and Hamath, what had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jeroboam rested with his fathers, the king of Israel. Then Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. Now, there's a sober warning in this. If you read Amos and Isaiah and Micah, Jeroboam II brought about huge national financial restoration. Prosperity, the archaeology suggests prosperity was abundant. There was a lot of oppressive rich people But this prosperity ended up in the wrong use of power and luxury and the oppression of the poor. It was denounced by Amos and Isaiah and Micah. And we know God in 2 Kings 13, we read that a few weeks ago, was going to send a deliverer, and this may have been it. But what we learned from this prosperity is that they did not handle prosperity well and the wickedness under the prosperity heaped judgment 
for themselves. Sound like a country you may be familiar with? Just saying. Israel was blessed with the ministries of both Hosea and Amos during Jeroboam's reign. From the writings, it was readily be seen that though there were political revival under his rule, there was no real moral or spiritual revival or awakening among the people. When he died in 752 BC, he left behind a strong kingdom, but unfortunately one whose core foundation was so spiritually rotten that the edifice of state would not long withstand the rising tides of international intrigue and pressure. So let's just look at our country, right? 9-11, it was the revival that never was. The stimulation and the response were not matched. God allowed those events, whether you believe in the conspiracy theories or you believe it at face value, it still happened. And how did the, the church respond? Stickers on their car. God bless America. And it lasted, what, six months. And then we were like, coast is clear. Back to life as normal. You know? Prosperity can blind us, right? It gives us a false bubble. It gives us a false sense of security, right? We need to learn from the mistakes of these people that will God have to disassemble the economy of America to not just get the world's attention, but the church's attention. You know why the church doesn't speak about things of heaven anymore? When you listen to pastoral messages, rarely does it talk about eternity, heaven, the new earth. It talks about what? How to have a great five steps to a great marriage, how to have a great Dave Ramsey financial situation, right? How to have a nice house, all this world dwelling wisdom and churches are backing away from the doctrine of the rapture remember the rapture came at a time when hippies had nothing and they're like great we want out of here we don't have we don't even wear socks but now those hippies are stockbrokers and they're retired and they have stuff and now they're like well we don't really want jesus to come back now we have too much stuff to play with right isn't it true I want to stay here. I want to be on the earth. And, you know, it is fun. I got kids. I got stuff. But, man, how about this? Let's bring our friends and family with us, right? We're going to have all of the earth to enjoy for eternity. We'll have heaven, but better yet, we'll have God to enjoy for all eternity, right? Let's stop thinking of the now. Let's think of the future. I think there's a lot of promises yet God has given us that are only going to be fulfilled in the future, you know? It's like when you come to a one-year-old birthday party and you have chips and Kool-Aid and sloppy joes. That's good. But the real joy is that chocolate cake. Right? Anyone get that chocolate cake last week? It was the best chocolate cake in the world, right? The best is always last, you know. So that's it with the Lord, you know. He warns us. Prosperity isn't always a sign of God's favor. Right? Calling isn't even a sign of God's favor. He gives us free will. It's not, let's not do things our way. Let's by faith today walk forward in the word of God and start with getting saved. If you need to get saved, just, just ask the Lord into your heart. Repent of your sins. Confess your sins. Right? We can baptize you right now so you don't backslide. We'll go down to, the, we'll go down to the Superior and you will see Jesus today. <laughs>
But hey, maybe you're blowing chunks. Maybe the Lord's showing you. You're not as smart as you think you is. <laughs> and you just need to start doing things God's way. And watch him be glorified. Watch him be glorified in your kids, right? So let's pray.